Welcome to Faith City Outreach, where your host, Marina Maria, reaches out to the world to discuss Christian topics and providing biblical solutions, as well as praying for the nations. Deuteronomy 31 verse 6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. The music in this broadcast is provided courtesy of Zapsplat.com. Now, here is your host, Marina Maria. I declare the scripture, Zechariah 2.5, over Faith City I'll Reach, where the Lord says, And I myself will be a wall of fire around it, declares the Lord, and I will be its glory within. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Nick Grimsman, who is the author of the book, Defeating Mental Illness. Nick has been on Sid Roth television program. And Nick, thank you so much for being on Faith City Outreach to share your miraculous testimony of how God healed and delivered you from schizophrenia. Thanks, Marina. Pleasure to be here. Oh, and thank you so much for writing this book, Defeating Mental Illness, because it offers hope for individuals to fully recover from any type of mental illness, as your book mentions. Amen. Yeah. So uh, my book is really written, uh, Defeating Mental Illness was written to uh, really bring hope to people because there's a lot of people out there that have been diagnosed or who have family members that have been diagnosed with a mental health challenge. And they, they feel hopeless. And so the, my book is really to uh, encourage people that there is, there is hope for healing and recovery through Jesus. Nick, please share when you were diagnosed as having schizophrenia. And for how long did you have it until God delivered you from it? Yeah, so I was, uh, I was 23 years old when I was diagnosed. Um, it's kind of a long story, but basically I was a, a bartender at a nightclub. Uh, in the early 2000s, and I found Jesus, or Jesus found me, amen. <laughs> I, I got saved, True. I gave my life to Jesus, and then I went online and I was looking for a, a church. Where, where, you know, where do I go to church? I didn't know, I was young in the Lord, and I ended up um, joining a, a cult, like a, a full-blown real cult, and it was called the Tony Alamo uh, Ministries, and it was... Uh, it was in, they had some outposts in Arkansas, Los Angeles, New York, but he was a big, uh, uh, he was a big, uh, uh, preacher back in the seventies of the Jesus movement. And then he, he cracked up and became a cult leader. And I joined this thinking it was the one real church. And so I moved to Arkansas and left my whole family and I joined a commune and lived with these believers. And we didn't know we were in a cult at the time or I didn't. Um, and it who, was just, who introduced you to this, um, leader? Um, I actually never met the person, uh, the leader, Tony Alamo in, in, you know, face to face, but I did talk to him on the phone briefly. Um, but I actually found, um, found him on the internet. I looked him up on the internet. I found like a, a news newsletter thing from them. And, uh, really I cracked up at the cult. Like when I was at the cult, like I, I disassociated and I became, severely mentally ill. And so I was 23 to answer your question. I was 23 years old when I was first diagnosed. It was actually on my, almost on my 23rd birthday. I spent, uh, in the mental hospital in Nashville. And so that's, uh, when I got diagnosed and I struggled with it for, um, about two years until I started, uh, my recovery journey. 
Now, you mentioned a very important experience when you were diagnosed and the psychiatrist had basically given you hopelessness, basically, in the way that she shared your diagnosis with your mother. Does that represent most diagnosis from all individuals who have been diagnosed with schizophrenia? I can't really... I don't really know what everybody, you know, each doctor says. I can just go right. through my, you know, my own, uh, my own experience. And in my book, I do write about how I remember still to this day, I was sitting there uh, in this uh, mental health clinic uh, in Phoenix here. And there's a lady doctor. She was probably in her uh, late 60s, maybe a little older. And she looked at me and said, you know, you're diagnosed with uh, schizophrenia you are never going to have a job. You're always going to have to take these medications. You'll never get to have a family. It's incurable, and you'll live with your mother the rest of your life. And basically gave me a death sentence. Mm-hmm. And I, working in the behavioral health field, you know, in, in the um, in the future, I worked in the behavioral health field. Um, now the past, but uh, a lot of people get this. You know, they get diagnosed, and the psychiatrists really gives them uh, no hope diagnosis that they're always going to be mentally ill they're never going to be able to recover and that's just not true with Jesus because Jesus can heal anyone of anything amen that is so true so the medical experts or the medical field basically uh, says that that a mental illness can only be um, managed but it can't be cured is that right um I think there. I think nowadays it's it's getting to um, more that people are seeing recovery that people can recover and manage. Okay. Um, but I do believe the uh, majority of the medical field believes that mental health issues are incurable that that you can manage them, but you'll always deal with them. And uh, but I can't speak for everybody. Right. Yeah. Now, when did God touch your heart to write this book? Defeating mental illness. Oh, that's a, that's a funny story. So, um, I uh, I wrote this book um, back, I believe, in two thousand and twelve, eleven. At first, you know, I, I wrote it down. I had the rough draft, and I remember I put it on uh, my website that I had at the time for my ministry, and it was uh, it was an electronic copy of the the book, and it was for free. It was on my website. It had like this pretty cheesy cover and it was just didn't really look that good and i remember i i remember thinking lord who is ever going to get any help from this book it just looks so cheesy because i didn't have a lot of talent in creating any artwork for it or anything it just looked really cheesy on my website i remember thinking who's ever going to read this little thing and sure enough you know a couple years later uh sid roth uh, called me up and they put me on their show with the book. So you never know like what God can do with something little. It's so true. Yeah. But uh, tell us, was it easy to write it? Um, when you have the anointing to write something, it's easy. So it's so true. I can say that I really uh, felt that God led me to write the book. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I feel like when, when God has you write something, it's it, it, it flows, um, you know, because your flesh is involved. It's not always 100%, you know. But I think I did pretty good with what I had at the time. And uh, um, for me, it didn't take long to write now. I noticed that you dedicated it to every person who has been tormented by mental illness. And 
Um, you also incorporate your years of working in the behavioral health field, which I believe helps you right now to to give a broader perspective on um, schizophrenia. And you also include your experience in the Christian ministry, too. Yeah. So uh, I have a pretty interesting story because I uh, dealt with schizophrenia. I entered my recovery from it. Um, I didn't get instantly healed. So, you know, a lot of people come to my ministry events and things, and they just want to be instantly healed. And sometimes, I mean, I totally believe in instant healing. I've seen people get healed myself. There's testimonies that people get instantly healed. But I believe sometimes, like in my own case, I can really only speak for myself, but in my own case, I didn't know God loved me. Mm-hmm. And so I would uh, get some freedom. Maybe I'd go get prayer or get some deliverance at church or my my Christian uh, uh, counselor would help me figure some stuff out. But inside, because of the, the teachings from the cult about uh, you know, a lot of fear and hell and mm-hmm. condemnation and feeling bad about yourself all the time. Um, I never felt like God really loved me. And so I would get some freedom and then I would be struggling again, you know, the next week because I really believe that when you believe wrong, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can you know, pick the stuff back up basically. You know, you just kind of go back to the old behaviors, their old belief systems because you're, you're not solid in, in God's word or God's truth yet. So when did you find out when that God loves you, Nick? Well, I was, um, I was always kind of extreme when I was younger. So everything I did was kind of extreme, right? So I would go and do a lot of drugs or, you know, drink a lot. You know, I was always extreme. And so I joined the cult and I was extreme. And then, uh, I brought that kind of into my early Christian life. So I would pray for hours and hours and hours, which is awesome, which is amazing. But God had to kind of equal me out a little bit because, you know, you can go extreme in any area. and um, To give you balance in your life. Give me balance, yeah, because you, you need to have balance. Right. So, um, but during this time of really praying and seeking the Lord and, and calling on his name, something incredible happened to me is that I started to personally know the Holy Spirit. Like, I, I actually could feel his love and he would come and... Um, you know, heal me of past trauma and, and things that I've been through. And he showed me that uh, God really loved me. And it was through my own, uh, really my own seeking of God that I found that God really loved and cared for me. And that's what, you know, was the number one thing that helped me fully recover from schizophrenia. So you seeking him in prayer? For sure, yeah. Please define schizophrenia for those who do not know about this mental illness, Nick. Uh, for me, uh, schizophrenia is uh, when a person like disassociates from reality. Almost they're in like a different realm. Um, and a lot of times it could happen with, uh, you know, uh, with voices. You know, you could hear voices that other people don't hear. Um, you could have wild hallucinations you know, think the government's after you, uh, that you're implanted with stuff or aliens gotcha or whatever the crazy, uh, hallucinations are. Um, for me, my major hallucinations were that I was evil and that I was the devil and that I should just kill myself. And so I dealt with a lot of voices that were always trying to get me to think that I was a horrible person and that I was always going to be tormented. So it was like a hopelessness. And so uh, people who deal with schizophrenia or other mental health issues 
all have different experiences, but overall schizophrenia is where you kind of disassociate from reality and you uh, experience different things that other people don't. You mentioned that you were healed and delivered from it. How long did it take for you to basically get out of meds? Okay, so I um, got diagnosed in 2003 and I struggled for about two years and I didn't, um, I didn't really know if God could heal me or not. I didn't, you know, after the, the psychiatrist said that stuff and, you know, just what I read online and things, um, it wasn't until someone gave me a book and it had uh, scriptures of healing in it. And I remember reading the book and going, by his stripes, I'm healed. The punishment for my peace is upon him. Wow. I could be healed. Wow. And so that's when I kind of, the spark kind of, you know, lighted in my, my mind. I was like, wow, I could be healed. So a lot of people deal with mental health issues, you know, have never heard that they can actually be healed. And uh, so that encouraged me. But it wasn't until about 2006 when I started beginning my uh, recovery journey. Um, I was doing a lot of, uh, you know, what they call self-deliverance. I was uh, telling evil spirits to leave my head, come out of my mind. I was doing a lot of that stuff in the beginning and seeking the Lord. Um, through that process, it took me about a little over a year to where I eventually felt safe enough where I could start um, working with my case manager and my family to lower the dosage of my medication. And um, I got off medications, all my meds. I used to take eight to 10 of them a day. Um, I eventually weaned off in 2007. So it's been uh, 13 years. Wow. And how about the voices? When did that stop happening? The voices stopped um, before I got off the medication. So during this time, this this little over year period, when I was really seeking the Lord and, and uh, going through this uh, process, I learned that the voices would give me a thought and would want me to agree with it and, and go deeper with them. For example, uh, you're an evil person. And then if I agree with that voice, then they come in with, you should just kill yourself or you should go run out in the street or whatever it is. And so I learned that they all they want me to do is agree with them and listen to them. And so I came up and I, I wrote in my book some things that I did. One thing I did was I put on headphones and I'd turn on some worship music and I'd go for walks and, and go pray instead of sit in my house and listen to voices all day. Mm-hmm. So I kind of learned different uh, things I could do. Different habits. Yeah, to to basically remove them from my, my life and not pay attention to them anymore. And you uh, also renewed your mind. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So that's probably the key, honey. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And uh, so I would uh, I would read the word. One thing that really helped me a lot was I um, I read the Bible on record audio recording. Like I would record myself reading the Bible, and then I put it in earphones or in like a speaker, and I'd listen to myself read the Bible to myself. So it really really helped me a lot. That's interesting. Yeah. What um, has been the reaction to your book so far, Nick? Um, so my book has been read by thousands and thousands of people uh, around the world. It's in uh, currently it's in the French language translation. I I want to get another translation soon, but um, it's helped a lot of people. I get testimony still, like in email, uh, people have read it and they get hope. Um, I had somebody. Uh, 
let me know that they they carry the book with them because it gives them hope because they were they um, you know they wanted to kill himself and you know and, and so they can they they have hope and and that's really that's what it's about you know you know I've learned that um, not every single person is going to uh, fully recover. Not every single person has the will or they want to, but God still loves the person, you know? So even if they struggle their whole life, sorry, but even if you struggle your whole life, the Lord will still love you every day of your life. And if if you understand that, recovery is a lot easier. You know, when I was dealing with schizophrenia and mental health stuff, and I also went through uh, major depression later on, but uh, going through those things, I learned that if I could just hold on to the Lord, he always gets me through it. So, Amen. So just keep your eyes on him, right? Amen. Yeah. Amen. Does the Bible mention anything about mental illness, Nick? Uh, it's, it's all over the Bible. I mean, King David wrote about how he was, uh, you know, his soul was discouraged, depressed. Um, the uh, maniac of Gadara, he was in the tombs. He was slicing his wrists and he was crying out. Um, there's a number of places where they talk about fear, um, the spirit of fear. I believe a lot of times um, what we're dealing with when people are, are dealing with mental health stuff is, is fear and condemnation. Um, and if you could understand that perfect love casts out all fear. So First John says that perfect love. And, you know, I believe the perfect love is actually fully you know, the Greek words there, you can look at it. It says mature, fully grown. So fully grown love casts out all fear. And sometimes that takes time. You know, a lot of people that struggle have been through traumatic experiences, have been hurt when they're children. They have a lot of fear. They feel unloved. And that mature, you know, God's love and maturity in God's love can cast all those things out. So sometimes it does take time, like in my case. Yes. And, um, you also in the process of renewing your mind, I'm sure it probably came to your mind like, okay, you were saying the scriptures, were you believing it at first or were you just saying, you just, you were saying them and you knew you had to say them, but were you also believing the scriptures as you were saying, or did it take a time to really believe what you were saying? Yeah. So it's really interesting when I was first, you know, born again, I was saved, um, I would read the scriptures and they would cause a lot of fear because the way that I was, um, my mind would work. My mind always thought about hell and and all these things. And so I would read the scriptures and it seemed like everything was fearful. And then as I renewed my mind and, and started learning the love of God and I started bringing the Holy Spirit with me when I read the word, I started seeing how much love is in the word. And so now I can read the word and I can see how uh, you know, Apostle Paul would write, you know, First Corinthians, he really loved the Corinthians. It wasn't this condemning, you're all evil people. It was, he sincerely loved the people that were in the churches. And so um, I, I've learned that, you know, it's kind of the spirit that you read the word. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage people to bring the Holy Spirit into their times with the Lord but yeah, in the beginning, I didn't, I would read and I'd try to quote scriptures and believe, and it just seems so hard. 
but I learned a key but to that. But you pressed through. Oh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. You pressed through. Yeah, you and kept I learned doing something it. really important was that faith has nothing to do with how I feel emotionally. So I would read, by your stripes, you're healed, or, you know, uh, different scriptures. And then immediately this thought or this feeling of discouragement would hit me. Oh, that's not really true. Or I, I would believe for, you know, a couple hours and then the feelings would come in. Oh, you're not healed. Look at you. But I learned that your feelings can't dictate the word of God. The word of God is true if you feel depressed or you don't feel depressed or if you feel discouraged or you don't feel discouraged. The word is still true and it's working in your life. And so I learned that key to kind of disconnect from the negative and just believe the truth past how I feel or what it looks like. And then I learned that that's actually faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for yet unseen. So you don't see yourself healed yet. You don't feel yourself healed yet, but you believe the truth until the promise of healing and deliverance manifests. So now in my life, I can believe past anything I see or feel. And so it's really about building my faith. God built my faith up. And so that's why I want to encourage people, your listeners, to remember that faith is past feelings or past what you see. Right, we don't go by our feelings. No, you can't. Because you're you're always going to, um, if you get stuck in there, then you won't progress. You won't, yes. nothing will change. Absolutely. So, yeah, so I would get a negative feeling. Like, let's say discouragement was a big one. I'd get discouraged. You're not, you know, you're not good enough or you're not completely healed yet or whatever it is. I'd get discouraged. And then the discouragement would pull me into unbelief. And then what would you do next? And then unbelief would pull me into dis- d- depression. And then okay. depression, so it would keep pulling me down until I finally saw it for what it is. Discouragement is a weapon that the enemy or the devil, however you look at it, is using against me to try to steal my faith. So I could see it for what it is. Oh, there's discouragement. That's not part of who I am in Christ. That's not my true identity. In Christ, I'm not discouraged. And so I'm going to believe the truth that I'm happy and joyful and healed and filled with love because I have the Holy Spirit living in me. And that's my true identity, not discouragement, depression. Exactly. And we can even say that out loud, Mm -hmm. right? Because it gives it a lot more power when we say things out loud. Yeah. So your your words are very powerful. Um, A lot of times people, you know, when I counsel people or talk with people, you know, I pastoral counsel people or talk with them. Um... They will tell me everything negative. Everything's negative. And they don't say anything positive. And I've learned not to listen to anything negative anymore. So if somebody comes up to me and they want to tell me all the things the devil's doing to them and how strong the devil is, I say, hey, whoa, hold on a second. Let's reverse this. How strong is God? What did Jesus do for you? What is he doing in your life? And what does the word of God say about your situation? See the difference? Yes. Yeah. So so before it was like I was always in warfare. Everything was warfare. Mm-hmm. Devils everywhere. Things are going bad. You know, all these things. How do I overcome all this stuff? And now it's changed to believing the truth and standing firm in faith, like Paul said, you know, to uh, in Ephesians, you know, you wear the helmet of salvation. You stand firm in your faith, the belt of truth, the shoes with the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So I've learned to stand in faith and allow the Lord to battle all the stuff I'm dealing with. Right. And like you said in the, um, earlier, keeping your eyes on him, Amen. not on the enemy. Amen. So when you're dealing with mental health issues, 
uh, it's, it, you know, a lot of times it's how you feel. You feel discouraged. You feel depressed. You hate yourself. Um, you're feeling anxious. You have anxiety. You're dealing with voices telling you to kill yourself. Whatever it is, if you think about it, it's all negative. Everything he's telling you or what you're feeling is all negative coming from some area of your soul, which is your mind, your emotions. And so if you can see that the word of God can actually transform your mind, which in turn can transform your soul, then you can be free from the things you deal with. Now, does that have to do with the spiritual strongholds that you mentioned uh, in your book that many mental illness um, individuals are are basically the cause of the spiritual strongholds? Yeah, so not I, I, I don't believe that every single thing someone deals with is spiritual strongholds. But know? many times? Yeah, so a lot of times people deal with wrong belief systems, which can be deemed as spiritual strongholds. Some people think it's a, a demon or however you look at it. I choose to believe it's a lie, mm-hmm. and if and a lie comes from the father of lies, mm-hmm. and so if you can see the lie, then you can defeat it with the truth. So yes. a lot of times you just have to figure out what's the lie you're believing, um, and what's the truth that can overcome that lie. So if someone's dealing with depression, okay, what's what's the the fact is someone you are dealing with depression. That's a fact. You can go to a doctor and they can put a, uh, you know, they can run a scan on your brain. They can see the chemical issue of depression. Okay. But the Bible says that we are no longer in the flesh. We are in the spirit. And so as you learn that you're in the spirit and you have the Holy Spirit that gives life to your mortal body, he gives life to your body and that Jesus wore a crown of thorns. So your brain, your chemicals in your brain can be fixed and healed. Then you can start walking out that truth. If you start believing that you have the spirit of joy living in your body already through the Holy Spirit, if you start believing that happy is the people whose God is the Lord, you can actually start believing uh, that you have uh, victory over this thing and eventually victory will come. Amen. As you believe correctly in the truth, because the truth is what the Bible says sets us free. Victory in Christ. Amen. And the truth is found in Jesus. And so if you're dealing with a mental health issue, get closer to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. And on your knees. (laughs) (laughs) This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Nick Rinsman, who is the author of the book, Defeating Mental Illness, in which we are discussing now. Nick has been on sit Roth uh, television program, and Nick is also sharing his miraculous testimony of how God healed and delivered him from schizophrenia. Nick, in your first chapter, you also mentioned that after being in a cold after five months and living in fear of hell, you started to hear loud voices in your head, and you were even found screaming at the Nashville International Airport? (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, I, uh, I started, I, I really cracked up when I was in the, in the cult, uh, because of the immense fear that they, that they, they taught. And I went through sleep deprivation where they wouldn't let you sleep right. Um, uh, you know, they would have us fast all the time. And so, um, I was, um, abused spiritually. I was, uh, spiritually abused and I eventually uh, lost my identity and these voices came to me and long story short, they told me if I went into the airport baggage claim, I found myself in the airport. If I go into the airport baggage claim and I start praying to God really, really loud and screaming, 
then God would translate me and make me a prophet uh, into New York City by the World Trade Center, where, where it used to be. Um, and, uh, and so a lot of times, you know, because uh, a young person, you know, I was 23 at the time, 22, 23, and uh, a lot of times you get the, the, the thought is, is that you want purpose in that uh, this kind of like a uh, spiritual pride can come in and tell you that you're great, that you're this great last day prophet, or you're this great grandiose, you're going to be the president of the world or whatever it is. And I, I but believe that's because that's, of being involved in a cult, right? Well, that, that had to do with uh, a lot of had rejection. some influence. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And mm-hmm. so the cult, the, the guy that ran the cult, he mm-hmm. believed he was uh, a last day prophet too. So mm-hmm. I probably got a lot of that from the, him, but a lot of it came from rejection. So when I was younger, I went through a lot of rejection. You know, people rejected me, girls rejected me, friends rejected me. You know, I went through a lot of rejection. And so the cult gave me a, a sense of purpose. And then when I left there, I was, you know, it, it dealt with the the identity thing. Like, where's my purpose? Oh, maybe I'm a, a end day prophet and I'm going to rule the world or whatever it is. And so you get into this, this almost like just extreme pride and it's, it's just because you're hurt and you don't you don't know who you are and you know that stronghold builds and pretty soon you're doing crazy things. Now, do you think that a lot of people who are involved in a cult experience the same things you did? Um, like you can't sleep and you. Well, yeah. So there's different possibly. levels of cults. Oh, uh, okay. Like Jim's Jones cult, where he had everybody, you know, uh, drink the Kool Aid and kill themselves, and you you know you have David Koresh. Who had the people burn up you know there's different you know in the fire uh, mm-hmm. there's different levels of cults and i've actually found that um you know that you could have like a, a cultish type uh church that you go to and you don't really even realize that you're kind of in a cultish type church like for example for example um the people are very controlling uh, they tell you if you leave the church you you know you're you're a horrible person or you're going to lose your salvation or our pastor is the number one prophet of the world or the nation and and everybody kind of worships the pastor and or the people that run the 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 uh the church or whatever and so it, it kind of an elitism type thing mm. and so that is a cultish type thing where people control through you know spiritual activities and stuff like that doesn't necessarily mean it's like a a brainwash cult like I was in. Like I was in a full blown like brainwash. You're brainwashed. But it's cult like. Uh yeah. So yeah. So there are mm-hmm. cult like groups and right. churches that I have run into and that I've actually helped a lot of people get out of those and to see clearly that unconditional love is not controlling. Mm-hmm. It's very Ooh, important. Repeat that again. Very important for new believers to get this because I didn't understand this. But unconditional love is not controlling. God, your Father in heaven, gives you 100% free will. And so we have to understand that as pastors or leaders or prophets or apostles or whoever is listening to this, is that unconditional love is not controlling. And so that's what, you know, when I went into that cult, it was all about control. This is what time you get up. This is what time you do security. This is what time you eat. This is where you're going to go today. You know, all that stuff is controlling. And so if you feel controlled in your environment, it's probably not unconditional love. Mm -hmm. But in reality, the only person that can give us 100% unconditional love all the time is Is Jesus. Jesus. 
And so our goal as Christians and people, uh, uh, you know, who follow Christ is to become more like him. And so to be more like him is to love like him and to love like him is unconditional. And so I just encourage people to, uh, get closer to Jesus so they can learn how to love their family, how to love their church, uh, friends, you know, people, their congregations with unconditional love. So at what point in time after you uh, were involved in the cult that you basically realized you were in a cult and that you needed to get out? That's a great question. So I left the, so in my book, I talk about how I left the cult um, because I, you know, I had the, the mental breakdown. I got diagnosed with schizophrenia, but I felt like I needed to still be in the cult because they told you if you leave this church, then you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you lost your salvation. So they instill great fear and intimidation. Oh my gosh, so much fear. You have, you have no to the point that you are shaking every day. Shaking and paralyzed. Shaking every day. Anxiety in my whole yeah. body. I had agoraphobia, so I couldn't even leave my house at times. Wow. Um, I would literally walk back and forth in my mother's condo, uh, in her apartment condo or whatever you call it. Uh, just walking back and forth all day long, talking to myself because I was so afraid I was going to go to hell. But didn't you know anybody at the church that also experienced the same things you did? Uh, similar? No, I didn't really. Um, I, I didn't. Socialize? Really, no, nah, you don't really get to do all that there. Wow. You're mostly doing work for them or working their businesses. So that's yeah. another sign in, uh, while being in a cult, right? They don't really um, encourage yeah. uh, the the people to socialize with each other. Yeah, so I got, uh, di- uh, I'm not diagnosed. I got, uh, uh, connected. They put you with a older believer. And so mm. I, I, it's kind of like a handler, like somebody with me the whole time. So I could never oh. really get to connect with other people. Cause I had an older person who's been in the cult for 10 years right. next to me, making sure that I was doing what I was supposed mm-hmm. to do. And then they would tell on each other. So if I saw somebody eat an, an extra piece of bread during dinner, I would have to tell on them. And so then they would get in trouble. And then the more fear, they would maybe possibly get kicked out or have fear of being kicked out. Then they think they blasphemed. Yeah. And so it's like this is this control, major control over fear. And so I learned later on, though, that fear is how, you know, the Bible says that uh, through the fear of death, the enemy has kept people, uh, they keep people in bondage. And so it's because people are afraid, that's how the devil keeps people slaves. And so I learned that um, to have uh, this, this immense fear is actually a way that people and the enemy can control. They can control. And so if, you're, if, you're, if you experience that, that fear and things, know that that's not from God because perfect, mature love casts out all fear. So God wants us to walk in love, not a bunch of fear and anxiety. Right. And it does say in his word that um, God did not give you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound mind. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, what would you say to people who are in a cult who may be listening right now and who are saying, oh, my gosh, this is happening to me? I, I would say seek counsel with someone that you that that you trust. Okay. So um, when I was in the cult, I um, the only people I could really trust was my family. But the cult told me that my family was evil, and so it was really hard for me to uh, 
you know, talk with them and stuff. But if you can, try to talk to a close family member. If you have nobody else, you know, uh, talk to your mother, your father, talk with someone. Um, you know, another thing you could do uh, also is that you could, you know, one thing that you could do now with the internet, you could really look things up on the internet. You can you can find out, you know, if if there's some sort of, you know, if, if this has been reported before, if there's a news article about this person or this group of people. Um, one thing you can report do, the church, report the yeah, leader. Like you can look online and see if they've done some, you know, if there's been a news article of the, the leader being a, a, a weirdo or something, maybe you've right. never seen it. Or do research, yeah, background research. research. Another thing too is use discernment. So uh, a really good uh, barometer is love, right? Mm-hmm. That, that is, that is our barometer as Christians. So when I meet someone now, um, I use love as my barometer. If I'm not picking up love off another person, a Christian, Mm -hmm. then I uh, first realize that they don't know the Lord that well. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you're not walking in the love of God and, you know, you say you've known the Lord for 50 years, but you can't, you don't love anyone, then I doubt that you know the Lord as closely as you you do. I'm not saying you're not saved, but maybe you just don't know the Lord as closely as you do. So I would use uh, love as your barometer. Do the people... uh, that run your church or run your group of people, the leaders or whatever, are they in the love of God? I'm not talking about sensual love, you know, because there's a lot of sensual love out there or pretended love, but real caring and love. You know, that's that's probably the, the barometer I'd give somebody that didn't have, you know, they didn't, they didn't know what else to do. I would say, you know, just get with the Lord and ask the Lord to show you the love that these people carry. Is it, is it real? Is it genuine? Is it from the Holy Spirit? Are you saying that the call was how schizophrenia manifested in your life since you first started to hear loud voices in your head after being in it for five months? You know, I, uh, in my early years, um, I did a lot of drugs. So, uh, you know, I was into all sorts of drugs. I was uh, promiscuous. I was a nightclub bartender. So I would blackout drink. And I remember hearing voices faintly when I was, um, before I went to the cult. I remember hearing a little bit of voices there. I also uh, had um, a time in my life where I kind of had a mini breakdown. Um, I wrote, uh, um, uh, I didn't, I don't know if I wrote that in this book, but, um, but at one time I, th- I had kind of a mini breakdown where my family thought I could have mental health issues, but um, I kind of talked them out of it. And so it was manifesting um, I, th- I believe the cult was the 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 last strike, the major strike, that traumatic experience that had my personality break off. Like it triggered. Yeah, like it. a trigger, like so, like like a trauma, boom. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. So, I think that was the uh, the major the the major uh, last strike was the cult to have it full blown schizophrenia. In your book, you mentioned that strong uh, spiritual strongholds could possibly be causing a chemical imbalance in an individual. Yeah. So, uh, uh, in my personal, this is my personal belief. I believe that uh, that evil spirits or strongholds, I believe that they can actually cause chemical issues in people's bodies. For example, I believe that they can cause disease. Uh, you know, not every disease, but I think that your chemicals, your body can be manipulated by unseen forces. And so, um, in your own mind, you could believe a lot of stuff and it could start messing with the chemicals in your body. If you believe a lot of fear and you think you're going to go to hell every second, you start dealing with anxiety. 
You know, I had so much anxiety inside my stomach that I could barely even sit down at times. But then I learned that God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And I put my hands right in my stomach and I said, in the name of Jesus, Amen. I command anxiety to come out. I command you to leave my body. I will not live in fear ever again. Leave in the name of Jesus. And I would do that. I'd do it, you know, whenever I prayed, whenever I felt it, I just put my hands in the name of Jesus, leave. And eventually anxiety completely left. No more pills. No more anything. I was completely healed of it. Completely. So if you look at me biologically, before and after, I'm sure something changed in my chemicals, my body, or, you know, in my physical self. Right. And it was your mind that actually, you know, uh, you renewing your mind and telling your body, I'm not going to believe this lie. Yeah. And so it's all, if you, if you can just break it all down, it's really that we grew up, um, we grew up in the world. We were born in the flesh. Everybody's born in the world. Everybody's born in the flesh. So we learn things from the world. We learn how to think like the world. We learn uh, from the, uh, the realm of the flesh. Then we get saved and we get taught that we're not everybody, but a lot of people get taught that we're still in the flesh and we have to do things just like the world and we're just religious. That's all. But the truth is the Bible says we are no longer in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit. Hmm. And so we have to now learn what it is to walk in the spirit, to walk in love towards our neighbors, how to, uh, to walk in faith, how to pray for the sick and see them healed, you know, how to live in, in the realm of the spirit, which is basically the law of faith, you know, living in faith in Christ. And so we can live in love and in faith. And then we're not no longer in the the realm of the flesh. But we just have to learn that. And sometimes it takes time yes. for us to, you know. It's a process. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm still on the process. You're still on the process. Apostle Paul said, I'm a never still ending not one. Yeah. I'm still not, I'm not perfect. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do is I forget those things behind. So what? I forget the cult. I forget all the sins I used to do. I forget all the addictions. I forget all the fear. And I press on. To the prize, the high calling, Christ Jesus, just like Paul did. He's forgetting those things behind. He's not yet perfect. He's going to just keep going forward. And so if you're out there listening to this, forget those things behind, wash it in the blood of Jesus and move forward to the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Amen. Nick, what comes to mind right now is um, I'm sure that you had to forgive people in your life like that uh, cult leader. Did you go through a period where you had to say to the Lord, I forgive him. Absolutely. It's an amazing story. Um, I actually was so scared of this man that I wanted to write him a letter and just let him know that I was, um, that I forgave him. And, uh, and so what I did was I actually, when I went on a trip, a family trip, after I was out of the cult for years, um, I went on a family trip and I stopped, I wrote the letter and I stopped by a mailbox and I, and I didn't it didn't have a return address on it, and I just sent it to him without my name on it or anything. And uh, it was really freeing, you know. I wrote a, a just an sure. anonymous letter, told him I forgive him, and uh, believe it or not, like four months later, the cult got raided. I don't know if it had anything to do with that, but it was pretty interesting. Raided by the FBI, but it was it was amazing to me. I saw it I was like wow, you know. I don't know if it had anything to do with you know, like I said, but I just thought it was amazing that I wrote this letter and sent it, even though I was afraid. Um, and then I was like, wow, I was on the news and everything. You can look it up, you know. Um, wow. The Tony Alamo cult, you can actually look that up. There's television shows, documentaries about it. 
uh, is in the news. Um, and I'm sure you had to forgive other people, right? Absolutely. So, um, you know, you go through life, you, you get hurt, you get traumatized, things happen to you, um, people reject you. And I had to learn that um, through God's love that I can forgive myself and I can forgive other people. Because in reality, people are who they are because of their own past their own upbringing and their own culture and whatever else happened to them or trauma or whatever. And so the same grace I've been given, I want to give to other people because I want everybody to be saved and to know the Lord. You know, in the end, uh, a million years from now, uh, I want to uh, look back and be like, you know, I'm glad that I forgave that person um, because it brought me closer, you know, to my own healing and to, to the Lord. Um, Because I feel like when you hold on to stuff, it, it um it prevents you from moving forward a lot of times and also it frees you and also uh, prevents you from getting sick too because you had mentioned that the spiritual strongholds could cause a chemical imbalance which causes diseases and other negative things in your in your body or it can but also unforgiveness does almost the same thing i mean if you've i've met people who have you know unforgiveness and they live a life of bitterness or sickness comes to their lives. Yeah. And, and so uh, this is a whole nother show probably, but uh, uh, unforgiveness is, is, uh, is a major issue. And if you really break it down, unforgiveness is, uh, uh, is not of the spirit because the spirit is love, joy, and peace and what, and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness. Right. And so when somebody is holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness in reality, they're living in the flesh. And so they're agreeing with a mindset that is not of who they really are. Because in Christ, you are forgiven and you can forgive. And so it's really an identity thing. And I've learned that if you can just turn your brain, you just repent, you change your mind, and you choose to believe that you have unlimited forgiveness living inside of you through the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. then that triumphs over the feelings of unforgiveness in your soul, which is your mind and your emotions. So unforgiveness is in your soul, not in your spirit. And the more you realize that you're in the spirit and not in the flesh, you can start seeing that unforgiveness and bitterness really isn't part of your true self in Christ. And you can stop taking identity in it mm-hmm. and you can learn how not to be trapped by it. Right. Does that make not sense? be in bondage. Yeah. Like, uh, it, it's really a lie. Like, you mm-hmm. know, that person hurts you. So you have to hold on to this anger towards them, this unforgiveness, uh, because that's hurting them. You know, mm-hmm. you want to hurt them back or however it is, it's a programming. So, right. you know, we get programmed to believe different things and some people from the they, world, from the world through childhood, through your childhood, mother right? Was always bitter, exactly. And you inherited that type of mindset or whatever. But mm. if you could help someone, first, there's no condemnation. If you want to live in unforgiveness and bitterness the rest of your life, Jesus will still love you your whole life. But you won't, you won't have the fullness of who you are in Christ until right. you choose to let uh, the lie go. And mm-hmm. so, what's the lie around it? I don't really know. You know, it could be different for each person. For me personally. It was more of a hurt. Like I was hurt. I had this pain. And so the pain 
brought in bitterness or unforgiveness. And but I, you also mentioned you felt rejected too. Yeah. So it was like this pain, of, mm-hmm. you know, rejection, bitterness. Right. And so it was kind of like a ball, like, you know, like this, this, this ball in there, just this, this grouping of spiritual strongholds. So what I learned was that I'm actually, that part of me is not actually my renewed self, my true self. So that hurt and that bitterness isn't actually part of my real personality in Christ. Exactly. So it comes down to the person's identity. If someone actually takes identity in Christ in them, the hope of glory, that the love of Jesus lives in their body, that they are happy, that they are kind, that they are gentle, that they are humble, these are fruits of the Spirit. When you take identity in who lives inside of you, it's a lot harder to walk in bitterness and unforgiveness because you have love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. As you learn this, which is Christ, Amen. So you have Christ in you, <laughs> Christ in and then you. it goes to my my one of my favorite scriptures is submit to God and resist the devil, and, and he, will he will flee from you. So if you deal with unforgiveness, yes. submit to God and resist the feeling, yeah. resist that. Oh, you want to get bitter at your spouse or whatever? Just resist. Oh, that's yeah. not really me. Right. My true self is to love my neighbor. That's who I really am. I'm love and joy and peace. Because I have Christ living in my body. So it's the focus. It's A lot of people focus on unforgiveness. But you should focus on forgiveness in Christ. See, you just have to kind of change your focus from flesh to spirit. And you start manifesting what you are focusing on. Amen. Amen. Nick, what can churches do to help support those people who suffer from mental illness? Great question. So when I was... Uh, when I was a young man, uh, my mother actually called all these uh, all these churches in Phoenix, and she was asking for help with her schizophrenic son. And a lot of them didn't really give her a lot of hope. They said, "Just take him to a mental hospital. We can't help him here." I think uh, the first thing that um, people need to understand that, uh, like churches, I think they they need to uh, let people know that there there is no condemnation. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not an evil person if they're struggling with mental health issues. So if you're struggling with bipolar or you have an identity issue or you're schizophrenic or come in, we'll love you, we'll pray for you. And then there's, a, you know, first is no condemnation for dealing with an issue. Uh, second, I think, is uh, uh, is to have some sort of support system because a lot of times when people deal with mental health things, is it's like they isolate. They don't feel normal and so they isolate. They go and uh, get their own apartment and go hide out. Or they just live in a room all day and don't talk to their family members. They don't go to church. They don't join any groups. They don't. What one? Now is it I, because they feel embarrassed? Yeah, they're isolated. Or okay. the, the the voices tell them to you know nobody understands you, so just go hide. Or uh, nobody at church likes you, so just go hide. You know, don't go to church today because it won't help you. Because you know you get prayer and you never get healed. What's wrong with you? See, and so they use the you know the lies to to try to keep them isolated. So uh, I would encourage church people to not allow their friends who are struggling to isolate, you know, bring them to their prayer meeting, take them to a conference, bring them to a worship service. Um, worship concerts really helped me a lot when I was young. I used to go to all the worship concerts that would come through. I'd buy the tickets and go to a worship conference. Um, I think another thing would be to have a support group where you could um, come in and you could get prayer and you could get some uh, guidance, maybe have somebody that's been through recovery for mental health issues or a counselor or whatever lead a group. And I think the key to it is is to help the people that are struggling not take identity 
in their issue, in the issue. When I was schizophrenic, I took a lot of identity in being the schizophrenic. Or somebody's depressed, so they take a lot of I'm just depressed. I'm a depressed person. I've been dealing with depression for 10 years. They, they, it's like part of them. Mm-hmm. And I think church uh, should be a place where you learn who you are, how much you're loved, and how you're going to get through it, and we'll pray for you, and you can come to this prayer meeting, you can go to dinner with us, whatever, so that the person can start feeling the love of God and start to walk free from taking identity in their, in their diagnosis. Nick, what final words of hope, compassion, and encouragement would you give to those suffering from mental illness? Final words. Um, there's always hope. Um, I get a lot of um, emails, messages from people that have family members that are dealing with mental health issues. Um, and maybe the person doesn't, a lot of times it's the person doesn't want any help. They're just, they're just on the street or they just don't want help. They don't want Jesus. They don't want to go to church. I want to give you hope today for, you know, the mothers and fathers out there are praying for their children, their loved ones. There is hope through the name of Jesus. Just because it looks bad doesn't mean that God's not working in the invisible realm. So continue to trust the Lord and continue to believe that God has a plan for your loved ones and God has a plan for you. And so I think that's, that's you know, the major thing is to, to let you know that there's hope for recovery. There's hope for instant healing. I believe in miracles 100%. Yes. So if you are struggling, go down and get prayer from your church leaders or from your friends and just believe that God is, can instantly heal you, supernaturally transform you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just because I was a, a recovery process does not mean that you can't be instantly healed. But if you aren't instantly healed, don't think you're a bad person. It could be that God's going to train you just like he trained me through recovery. And that's okay. Recovery is still a miracle. I was healed and recovered from incurable schizophrenia. They say it's incurable. And so if God has done it for me, he can do it for you and your loved ones. Thank you, Nick. Nick, where can people um, buy your book and how can listeners support your ministry? Okay, my ministry is thefathersfriends.org. So one more time, it's thefathersfriends.org. And they can go there. They can find where to get my book there. But really, it's on Amazon. You can always Google my name or my ministry's name um, and find it. The book is called Defeating Mental Illness. And so I travel and uh, I speak places and I've been to 23 countries. Where are you going next? Um, I'm actually taking part of... My ministry right now, I believe, is that uh, um, I personally believe the Lord sends me places and has me do intercessory prayer because I'm a prayer person. I can pray a lot, and the Lord's really used me for that. So I was at uh, I was in uh, the DMZ, which is the demilitarized zone between South and North Korea uh, last year. I went there a few few days and, and prayed there along that border with all the troops there and stuff. And then to uh, this coming up in a few months, I'm going to be in Tunisia, which is in North Africa next to Libya and Algeria. So I'm going to go there and do a prayer uh, a prayer thing uh, there. And then I'm going to be in California uh, next month, I believe. Praise the Lord, Nick. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to Faith City Outreach to share your testimony and how God is using you to give the truth and lies about mental illness. And Nick, please end in prayer for whatever the Holy Spirit is leading you to pray for. Right, Father, I just thank you so much for every single listener, Lord. I pray specifically for 
the people that are personally dealing with a mental health issue or even a physical issue, Lord, and they've been dealing with it for a long time. Father, I pray right now that your presence would overshadow them, Lord, and that you would touch their bodies, that you would heal their minds, Lord, that you would deliver them in their emotions, that their bodies would supernaturally be healed, that all disease and sickness would leave their life forever. Lord, that the chemicals in their body, their minds would be uh, restored, Father, and that you would heal them of trauma. And Lord, anybody out there that's uh, currently in an abusive relationship or they're being spiritually abused, Lord, I pray that you would speak to them and give them a way out. You give them wisdom, that you'd protect them. I thank you, Lord, that your angels guard over them. Lord, I pray for all the parents out there that have children that are suffering from addictions and mental health issues, Lord. Lord, I pray that you'd comfort them and give them great hope in the name of Jesus. Father, I thank you that I am not the answer to anything, but you are. Your word is. And Lord, you said that everyone who calls upon your name shall be saved. Everyone who calls upon your name shall be delivered. Lord, we call on the name of Jesus for each person needing you today, Lord. We call on your name, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. We will return next Sunday, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Coast time with another special guest the Lord has brought to Faith City Outreach. Psalm 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples, for great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Salmos 117. Alaban al Señor, naciones todas, pueblos todos, cántenle alabanzas. Grande es su amor por nosotros. La fielidad del Señor es eterna. Aleluya. Alabado sea el Señor. You have been listening to the Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria as she interviews Christian pastors and leaders to discuss scriptures and topics affecting the Christian community and to pray for the nations. If you need to contact Marina Maria, please email her at fcoprogram at gmail.com. The music used in this broadcast is provided courtesy of zapsplat.com. Until next time, Marina wants to remind you from Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.